Hello, Second Print Nation. Welcome back to Second Print Comics. We have to interrupt our regularly scheduled Spooktober extravaganza because young Remzo is actually out of commission this week. I'm sad to say he's okay. He's safe and sound. Uh, you know, he's in recovery. And a lot of you were, were following along uh, with his uh, journey to raise a little money through I might even say the wrong thing. I'm pretty sure. Is it jujitsu? I want to th- say it's jujitsu. Look, it's some martial art, all right? And this kid, this kid valiantly went out this past weekend on one foot, one swollen foot. And look, I don't need to break down all the details, but this man walked away with a medal, all right? And he raised money for cancer. So bravo to Remzo. Bravo to all uh, our patrons and other listeners who helped out uh, raising money for that cause. Um, that's just a really uh, wonderful thing. And Remzo, uh, you know, he deserves a week off. Uh, so we're going to give him a week off this week. And I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a treat as well by getting a taste of what we do on the Patreon. You know, this the the main comic podcast here, the main comic podcast, Second Print Comics, where we talk about comics and now we've started to do a little more pop culture and that sort of thing. It's really just the front of the store. You know what I mean? It's really just the billboard you see on the street. But the real action, just like when you go into a comic shop, the real action, it's in the back bins, you know? It's in those bargain bins, those dollar bins. Not that our Patreon's a dollar bin. Maybe that's not the best comparison. The point is... The real action is behind that Patreon paywall for as little as five bucks a month. You can get back there. Of course, we have all sorts of higher levels. Uh, you can become a member of the Epic Crossover level and get a hardcover graphic novel handpicked and shipped to you by Remzo and I every three months. You can be part of the Kirby Club, become producers, active participants in this show. Uh, so many ways you can support this program. So if you like what I do, if you like what we do, I come on, Remzo, I know you're still here. Uh, if you like what we do, if you, if you enjoy our attempt to bring a little joy back into the comics, world, uh, despite all the stuff that we rightfully point out that is wrong uh, with the state of comics and whatnot. That is kind of our mission here, to have fun. Uh, of course, our show was started during the pandemic when really we needed an outlet. A lot of people needed an outlet, and we served that purpose for a lot of people. But I think since then, we've kind of uh, grown and evolved and really formed a great community, and, and most of that community does play, take place uh, within the Second Print uh, Fan Zone, which is our our, um, our Facebook group for the Patreon supporters. So check out the Second Print Comics Club. That's what I'm going to start calling it, our Patreon at patreon.com slash secondprintpod. And when you're up, staying up late, listening to podcasts, reading comics, you know what you need. You need some great coffee. And there is no better place to get that coffee than from my friend Stephen Fox at foxandsons.com. This man started a business not just to relive the love of coffee that he used to share with his own father, but also to teach his sons about entrepreneurship. So I think that's a wonderful cause. And guess what? Turns out this man knows how to source the finest darn beans you ever did taste. I'm not joking around. If you are even walking into a coffee shop once or twice a month, just stop Turn that money around, turn that, take that money, take it out of the hands of Starbucks, put it in the hands of Stephen Fox, a great man, a great father, and uh, someone who is really doing a wonderful thing with his business that I'm so happy to support and happy to have him supporting this show as well. So I want you to head over to foxandsons.com, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com. Give yourself a little bit of a discount on us, second print pod, that discount code will get you 15% off your order. Again, discount code second print pod. That being said, we're going to get into this little sampling here. Can I give you three shows, actually? I'm going to give you a combination of three shows that uh, we've been doing behind the paywall. Again, 
all the action is going on behind there. I just started a new one. That's what we're going to start off with. It is a podcast called More to the Story, where I go through the works of Alan Moore. Not necessarily all the works, although we'll see where it goes. But for now, I'm actually starting with some of his more actually somewhat unknown and obscure works that he did in the 90s when he did a little bit of a stint with Image. Of course, I'll explain all this in the podcast, so I don't really need to get into the background here. But in this uh, podcast, you're going to hear more to the story. I'll be looking at uh, Alan Moore's run on Wildcats and his run on Supreme. After that, you'll be heading over to Remzo along with Jeffrey, Kirby Club member Jeffrey. They'll be breaking down issues one through four of the oft forgotten, but not totally forgotten by them, Marvel series Force Works, which was really just a rekindled West Coast Avengers. Again, you'll hear all this coming down the road. And lastly, we'll wrap up with my look at Savage Dragon 65 on what is known as the Savage Dragon Catch-Up Podcast. As many of you know, Savage Dragon my all-time favorite book. Um, not not loving it so much lately, but uh, the initial run is one of my favorites, and I'm filling in my collection. As I do so, I am recapping these issues. Once again, you'll hear this all come down the pike, but I really do appreciate all of you. Wanted to give you guys a little bit of a, a little bit of a gift, a little bit of a freebie. Uh, instead of having to go through the rigmarole of giving your free trial a free week, you can pretty much get the last uh, couple weeks of shows here in one package for you to tide you over while Remzo heals himself up. My friends, thank you so much. We will now head into more to the story. Welcome back, friends, to, yes, I can't get enough. I can't get enough of new podcasts. I swear, as you saw, you know, I, I came back, I did my Thunderstruck the other week, so I will continue with the current projects, but I think this one in particular is going to be very unique and one that you're not going to find really any analog to probably anywhere out there in the podcast world. So I want you to feel special. You know, I want to do shows that make you guys feel pretty darn special. So today I'm going to be doing a brand new Patreon only Patreon exclusive podcast. The title is more to the story. Yes, I love puns. This is all about Alan Moore and not really Alan Moore's main works. Now I I may get into some other works besides the two projects that I'm going to discuss today eventually, but they're pretty beefy on their own. So I think this particular project, considering the fact that I've also got the Savage Dragon catch up podcast, I've also got Thunderstruck, the Thunderstrike podcast. I think that's plenty. I think that's plenty to keep me busy here behind the paywall for you guys. Um, But what I'm going to be looking at, like I said, more to the story, I'm going to be looking at some of the works of Alan Moore, looking specifically at the work he did with Image Comics in the 90s. Now, there's a couple books that he got brought into because Image, you know, they made a big splash when they first came on the scene in the early 90s when uh, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Eric Larson and company split off from Marvel, started their own company, big hoopla, releasing books like Wildcats, under Jim, and they all had their own labels within Image, even though they all lim- image, you know, labeled their books Image, at least in the beginning. Eventually, they would kind of splinter off more. Uh, but Jim Lee, his big book was Wildcats. Rob Liefeld, his big book was uh, Supreme. Not Supreme, actually, not, not Supreme at first. Youngblood was actually his big book, uh, which like the center of his little corner of the universe. And then he had a couple other titles, including Profit, which at one point, if you listen to, to the Rob Observations podcast, you would know, supposedly anyway, <laughs> at one point it was in discussions to be a movie starring Tom Cruise as Prophet. A little tidbit for you. Uh, but 
uh, eventually. And then one of his other projects was Supreme. Now, Supreme was basically Superman without the moral compass. He was basically just a badass Superman with the powers of Superman, similar origin to Superman, depending on what era of Supreme we're in. And we'll get into all that, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it was basically a generic book. It was a way for Rob Liefeld and Rob Liefeld adjacent artists to draw big, muscly men doing big, muscly things in big, flashy comics. That's how I would sum up, honestly, most of Image besides, um, well, I guess Spawn was a little bit quirkier, a little bit different, a little bit over a darker horror comic. And definitely, I would say Eric Larson's Savage Dragon work stood out very differently, as you all know. My favorite, uh, you know, man, I'm going through a lot of Image stuff now. I got Savage Dragon, and today we're going to start a project looking at two of the books that Alan Moore was brought in separately to run uh, when Image started floundering a little bit. When these books, like I said, they made a big splash in the beginning. All those number ones, they had huge sales, huge print numbers. But let's be honest, they were nice to look at. But if you're going to be asking people to pay, and at the time, this was a lot, like three bucks a month, 250 or three bucks, most of these Image titles were, you're going to be asking people to pay that. Um, at some point, the quality is what's going to win out. And another problem that really plagued a lot of these Image books especially the ones connected to the aforementioned Mr. Lee and Mr. Liefeld or delays, massive, massive delays. Cause these guys were artists, but they were, they were not previously really businessmen. And Rob Liefeld has said as much. It's like, I wasn't an artist. I, I wasn't a businessman. I was an artist. So yeah, I made a ton of business mistakes. Uh, cause, cause that I wasn't a businessman. Um, and brought like, you know, McFarlane would say similar things. He'd be like, look, I'm not a businessman. I'm an artist. He's like, well, you know, but you're doing business. So, and, and, and there were certainly mistakes made along the way, but, um, Jim Lee wanted to correct one of those mistakes or at least try to right the ship by bringing some attention to a book that had fla certainly floundered in sales at this point. That was his flagship book, Wild Cats. Cats having initials standing for covert operations. I do have Wild Cats number one in my collection right now. Uh, the other book I'm going to look at, so we're gonna, that's one of the books we're going to look at. We're going to look at the Alan Moore run of Wildcats. We're also, simultaneously, we're going to go through both of these at the same time. About a year after Alan Moore was brought on to do Wildcats, he was also brought on by Rob Liefeld to his... Now, what was it originally? I forget what the... I forget what Rob Liefeld's original segment was, but eventually he split off from Image during this, and it became Awesome Comics. And then Awesome eventually became the Maximum Press. There was a couple different um, different iterations after Rob Liefeld's falling out with the other Image guys. But about a year after Alan Moore was brought on to take over Wildcats, he was brought in to, by Rob Liefeld to take over Supreme. And I think I believe in both these cases, but I, I know for sure what Rob Liefeld said. He told Alan Moore, and and if and look, if you don't have massive plans for a certain character especially a character like Supreme who wasn't exactly lighting up the sales charts. Um, and you, you have a chance to bring in Alan Moore to your book. Yeah. You're going to tell him, do whatever you want, have a blast, take off, do whatever you want with this character. Cause you're Alan Moore. So why shouldn't you do what you want with this character? So that was, that was what he told Alan Moore when he brought him onto Supreme and he, and he certainly, uh, did very different things. Um, so these are two very, very different types of runs. Now, the reason the reason this is such a special show for you. These are really hard to find. These both all had low print runs. I have some of these sporadic issues uh, in my comic collection that I recently brought back from Connecticut here to Florida. 
I've been going through it. And one of the projects I decided to embark on, I'm going to, I'm going to end up selling some of my stuff, keeping some other, some of my stuff, organizing some, putting some on EB, getting some stuff graded. I've got a lot, a lot of projects going with my comics, but I, I wanted to fill in some gaps in my collection as well. Some physical gaps. And some of those gaps were these two series, the Wildcats, Alan Moore run, which I had a few issues of. And the Supreme Alan Moore run, which I have about half of, but sporadically, I don't have the whole run. And because these don't exist digitally, I've never read them. I've never read the entire run. I've only read the issues that I have. So I don't even know the full run. You know, I've, I've read some things. I know people's opinions on them, but I've never been able to dive into it myself. So part of my project has been going to between eBay and going to some of the local comic shops in the area, uh, deciding to fill in some of these gaps. So what I'm going to do in this series, more to the story, I'm going to be going through both series, one issue at a time. Um, well, two issues at a time, you could say. And conveniently, these kind of both start off in similar numbers. Um, Alan Moore took over the Wildcats with issue number 21 in July 95, and he took over issue uh, Supreme with issue 41 in August of 1996. So each issue of the each issue, each episode of this podcast will feature me looking at the next issue in both series. So today I'm going to look at Wildcats number 21 and Supreme number 41. So why don't we start off with Wildcats number 21? As I mentioned, this is released in July 1995. The writing is by Alan Moore. The art is by Travis Charest. And from the very get-go, I'm going to say, you know, we kind of start off with a cold open and we get a date and we're quickly going to do a thing that sometimes I like in comics. I actually often like this, um, the way they do this is done in comics and Alan Moore has certainly done this a lot of his work, the sort of the time jumping around. Although I will say, thankfully, as he does in this episode, uh, in this issue, here we go. In this issue, we get dates. So at least when you time jump, it's, you're, it's specifically telling you this is a time jump. Here's where we are now. Okay, but man, I really hate in comics sometimes when they time jump and don't tell you and you just have to kind of guess and sort of figure out, oh, it's supposed to be like witty. It's supposed to be look at me. I'm the Christopher Nolan of comics and that just drives me crazy. So, but we start off on September 12th, 1130 in the morning. So we're getting very specific with our time. Um, we're meeting someone named Cash. Now at first, it's a couple weird things about this. This is taking place at some like castle here. Um, but these guys are dressed up in this like, very strange, um, what would a Victorian era garb, I guess you might say with the wig and the, the fancy shirt and all this stuff. So it's not really clear what's going on, but the one guy is referred at least in the, um, in the narration as Mr. Cash. So at first I'm thinking Cole Cash cause I know Cole Cash as grifter. However, we will shortly learn this is not Cole Cash. This is, as we'll learn when we time jump to September 8th, that this is Cole Cash. Uh, I'm sorry, Max Cash, who I believe, although they don't, they don't really tell us here, is the brother of Cole Cash. He's being recruited by Savant. Now, I, look, I'm going to treat this as if I'm a new reader, and I pretty much am. I, I, I have some familiarity with the Wildcats characters because part of the way I want to judge these books and these runs are how easy or how difficult it is would be for a new reader to pick up these stories because, you know, the whole point of bringing Alan Moore into your book is obviously to, well, increase the quality, but increase the attention and bring people into it. So to me, it should be a really good starting point. And in some ways, storyline wise, it is a good starting point because they are recruiting a new team. As you'll see here, Savant is going around uh, recruiting new members. Uh, she's calling Max Cash uh, as Condition Red is going to be his code name. Uh, I guess he was already sort of working undercover, but had gotten in 
a little too deep and had actually gone crooked himself. So she actually just basically threatens him into, into joining. And then we keep time jumping back to September 12th at this sort of fancy party. When you realize that these two fancily dressed Victorian garb people are actually Max dressed as George, or I guess it's supposed to be George Washington and Nancy. I don't know who Savant is dressed as someone named Nancy. It's not really clear what's going on. And I will say just to pick up the, the series like this now, on, on the surface, yeah, recruiting a team is a nice way to start things off, but it's it's confusingly done, I have to say, and the time jumping is very unnecessary. We keep jumping back from the party over again to Savant's recruiting drive. There's sort of a, a montage where she's recruiting uh, other characters off camera, with some, some known images characters that she either references or names directly. And then we find her uh, with Gymestic, Majestic, where they are talking about how they are building uh, new Wildcats. Now, they believe... I'll do a little previously on, I don't know exactly all what went down. I do have a couple of the issues. So maybe I will actually read them because when I was uh, buying some of these, for some reason in my mind, I thought the Alan Moore run started at issue uh, 21. It actually started at issue 19. So I actually have issue 19 and 20 by James Robinson, who's a decent writer. So maybe they're decent. Uh, That leads into this. I can tell you the recap. Basically though, the Wildcats are dead. (laughs) They were off fighting a space war and they're dead. They're not dead. Savant and Majestic and the rest of the world thinks they're dead. Spoiler alert, as we'll find out at the end of this issue, they're not actually dead. So there's going to be some interesting twists along the way. Sorry for spoiling this for anybody. <laughs> Look, if you want, if you would, if you would prefer to read these issues in real time and you're going to actually go track them down and do the work, just don't listen to this podcast. This podcast isn't for you or it's for you once you do that and catch up. But you know, the reason I'm doing this show, well, A, cause I wanted to read these books B cause these are hard to find. These are really hard to find. Now, of course you can find them on eBay and whatnot, but there you can't just whip out your iPad. Like I'm so used to doing for a lot of the stuff for second print. Uh, especially when we have the DC infinite app, we have the Marvel unlimited app. It's so easy. And even hoopla comiXology, you can usually buy everything, uh, digitally. If you can't find it on one of those apps. Uh, but these are some books that you can't even find easily digitally. You got to track down the physical copies, which is appealing to me. It brings back that collector mentality in me. So this, these aren't huge undertakings I'm, I'm doing. I'm trying to go through these as well as my, my savage dragon issue slowly. I mean, the Savage Dragon will be a multi-year project. There's a lot of issues, some of which are a little pricey there, believe it or not, including the first appearance of Invincible. Um, but yeah, they are recruiting a new Wildcats team. And look, I can't, I, I can't tell you exactly what happened because they don't tell us. They don't really tell us at all. They just pick, they, that, that's, I think the issue here. There's not much recap. They're just kind of picking up as if we're Wildcats readers. And to me, if you're bringing an Alan Moore, I mean, the whole purpose is, is for people like me to go, huh, Alan Moore is writing this book. Alan Moore is writing Jim Lee's Wildcats. I'll check it out because it's Alan Moore. If nothing else, you want to check it out out of curiosity. So coming into this, not getting that full recap, especially when it's not a number one and they are kind of picking up in the middle of the story. I don't remember being as critical of this as as I read it, but um, as I kind of recap it here, I, I am kind of seeing some issues, especially judging this as a jumping on point. Um, but eventually through the time jumping, we meet, uh, more of these characters. They are discussing, uh, the idea of recruiting this killer named, uh, what is her name? Mary Manchester, something Manchester, Maxine Manchester. That's it. Uh, and we also meet this character Tao who through another time jump, we found out who you find out they recruited essentially from this Omnicore, uh, no, Optogen. Optogen is this science, uh, mad science place where they are working on different creatures and they're like, well, now this one belongs to us. He's not ready. You don't want him. And then this Tau, he hands, you know, Tau stands for tactically augmented organism. He just looks like a guy, but supposedly he's a guy who's really smart and he's been augmented and whatnot. So Tau hands this scientist, 
a, a sheet of paper has, and it has four numbers for it. And he says, all you need to do is look at that. And then you're going to give me, you're going to sign over my own rights to myself because they were trying to buy this guy. They were trying to buy Tao, Savant and Majestic to become part of Wildcats. And, um, so, and, and he was like, nah, I'm not going to sell you Tao. So Tao gives him a number. The guy runs off and says, yeah, you got it here. You can sign the rights away. Tao, instead of being bought by Wildcats, he decides to voluntarily join the Wildcats after his rights are released to himself. Uh, so we find out and they're like, so what the hell was that? He's like, oh, I just handed him four phone numbers. One was his wife's phone number and three were not. So Tao knew this guy was cheating on his wife with three different women somehow got their phone numbers. I don't know how and his wife's phone number and that those numbers were enough to make him realize. Now this is really a hearkening back to the nineties. Cause if you did that to someone now, they'd be like, cool. What are these? Uh, you'd have to actually just show them the names or something because no one is going to know the numbers nowadays. Um, but again, we time jump, we, we keep time jumping back between this party where there's really nothing happening. We're meeting these sort of like different mobster characters, some of which are, um, are guarded by these things that we find out are called zombots. They're, uh, they're zombies and robots together. They are what they sound like pretty much. And the whole reason we realize through the flashbacks, uh, that they're at this sort of fancy weird party is cause they are going to, they want to recruit Maxine Manchester who they, suspect is going to intervene in this drug deal between all these different uh, mobsters. So they're there. And sure enough, Maxine Manchester makes a hell of an entrance flying in, in her car, just shooting away. And she is killing these zombots. She is, uh, she is fucking around. Uh, She's not fucking around, I should say. And they really realize, okay, this chick is, this chick is a deadly. And they're like, look, she's a monster. She's killing everybody. We have to do something. Where's majestic. He was supposed to intervene. And we see majestic is just totally swarmed now. Now Maxine has a really cool look. The bottom of her face, we, we do hear her origin. She was, she was basically uh, experimented on and turned into this really deadly million dollar man type, uh, killing robot. It's a half calf robot cyborg type thing. This whole thing ends when Tao grabs a gun from this one guy kind of swiftly sneakily, and I guess loads it up with heroin and shoots, shoots them. So they, to knock them, to, to knock Tao and the guy she was holding hostage out, one of the mobsters who they also wanted to take in, shoots them both with heroin. And so he turns the gun into a heroin gun and it takes them both out and they're going to bring, and they're going to carry, carry away Maxine Manchester. And I guess, re, re, um, I guess recruit her into the Wildcats. Um, and that is our intro to the Wildcats. One more page though. We turn the Wildcats and Here's Savant just saying, all right, we got, we got a new team now. So we gotta, we gotta go wrap this thing up. Even though this, this chick is just knocked out with heroin and they're assuming she's going to wake up and want to be part of this team. But I have a feeling they're going to make her an offer. She can't refuse kind of like they did uh, with Max earlier in the issue. She says the Wildcats are dead gentlemen. Long live the Wildcats. As we go and see the original Wildcats team in space suits in a spaceship, seemingly way the fuck out in space. So we find out now I'm not sure if the regular reader, Maybe I will go back. I'll report on this since I have the two issues here. And it's, I got nothing else to do today on a Saturday afternoon, a relaxing Saturday. So I think I will read the tail end of this, uh, those 19 and 20, see how we got here. But, but that was a uh, Wildcats 21. And while I liked it probably more than I might a regular Wildcats, maybe because I think I have Alan Moore bias. So a lot of stuff that if this is a regular issue without Alan Moore's name on it, I would just go, eh, this is whatever. But because it's Alan Moore, because this is a run I'm getting into, I'm thinking, well, there's probably, he's probably setting things up and this and that, which isn't really fair to be honest. He doesn't deserve that kind of bias. I should be honest. So here, my thinking on this issue, I'm going to, I'm going to grade this issue. All right. First, let's start with the art. 
the art's pretty good. Uh, it's Travis Charest, and his art is decent. Not amazing, but decent. He's kind of like a poor man's Jim Lee-ish, uh, in a sense. He's, he's very much in the Wildstorm uh, pattern. I'm not blown away by it, but it's pretty good. Pretty good, 3.5, that seems reasonable, 3.5 out of 5. And then the writing, man, look, I, I, I like it in a sense. I like that he's he's setting things up for us. I really hated the time jumping. I found it incredibly unnecessary and way too much. It was like every page for the first 16, 15, 17 pages until we just got to all the action uh, towards the end. I really didn't like it. It really just threw me off and, and bothered me more than anything else. And especially, this is what really bothered me. You're introducing a new team. You're introducing new characters to potentially new readers. And the first time we meet these characters is when they're dressed up in disguise in Victorian era garb. I have no problem with characters going undercover and dressing in funny garb. I think that's a, a fun, fun enough uh, tactic that's been done in many comics, movies, series, whatnot. No problem with that. It can't be the first panel I meet the characters because now I don't even, re- it t- takes you a minute until they start referring to each other by their names that to even realize who these people are because they look totally different than their actual characters. Mac, the first time I meet Max Cash, who looks nothing like this, he's dressed up as George Washington. That's unacceptable, to be honest with you. I don't think that's a very good way to start the series. I think this could have been done a lot better. Like, I like I like Alan Moore's style here. I like that it feels, I don't know, a little more, I don't know, a little more serious. It, it feels like an actual writer wrote this, I will say. I think there was a lot of problem with a lot of the early, um, other than Todd, who I think did a decent job writing Spawn number one, as well as Eric Larson with Savage Dragon, of course. Uh, you know, let's just say Rob Liefeld, um, Jim Lee, the writing is not their strong suit. And writing was not their focus. And having good writing wasn't even their focus, even when they did bring in writers. So this was a concerted effort to bring in a quote-unquote real writer, as real as they get, as real as I'll get, mate. <laughs> he always becomes a little Australian for me every time. I want to come in and write this Wildcats. I want to give you a time jump. Lots of time jumps. More time jumps than you can imagine. Because I'm Alan fucking Moore. I'm smoking cigarettes. I'm doing black fucking magic. And I'm giving you some fucking time jumps in my wildcats. Now give me a goddamn plate of, of blood pudding, all right? <laughs> oh, man. I'm having fun. I'm having fun. Having fun with this one, kids. So I'm going to give the writing a three. I can't give it much more than that. It's better than average. It's slightly better than average, for sure. But there's a lot of issues with, that I have with this, um, with this issue. There's issues with the issue. Uh, and it, I don't think this is a very good setup. It's not a great start for the run, to be honest, if I, if it wasn't for Alan Moore's name on this book, I, I don't think I would even be that interested to, to go see what happens. I think the one intriguing aspect that we do get in the last panel is the, um, you know, the reveal that the wildcats are still alive out in space. So there's this sort of competing wildcats teams. There's the wildcats on earth, the wildcats in space. And where's that going to go? But again, if I'm a new reader, I don't care about those wildcats. I don't care about those original wildcats. I hardly care about these new wildcats I'm being introduced to. So I certainly don't care uh, about the old wildcats. If I'm a new reader, which to me is, is who this should be focused on. So I'm giving the writing a three. I'm giving the art a 3.5. I'm only giving this one a 6.5 book, probably the lowest I've ever rated something by Alan Moore. So not an, an incredible start to this, but However, I'm saying it hypothetically. It's, I mean, it's true because it's happening in real time because it's an Alan Moore run and because I know he does a whole run of this. I am, of course, more interested to continue it than I would be because I've already decided to collect this run. So, of course, I'm going to continue. But if I'm a new reader in 1995 and I'm checking this out, I'm popping in because it's Alan Moore, I might just be done. I might be like, all right, well, you know, I could keep reading it because, you know, it's Alan Moore and maybe you want to see where he goes. But on the surface, 
there's really nothing about this book that, that would really grab me. That really tells me, okay, this is something interesting. So the best I can do is 6.5, my friends. Now we do head over to another book again from August, 1996, Alan Moore's Supreme number 41. Again, written by Alan Moore, this time the art by Joe Bennett. Man, I wish I remembered Joe Bennett in the, in the draft because I really like Joe Bennett's art. I specifically remember it from this run, but he's done a lot of, uh, a lot of, he's done a ton of stuff. None of which I can name offhand, but I know I've seen Joe Bennett's work all over the place. And this one, we get a cold open. Now, this is kind of out of nowhere too, but this, I'm going to explain why this works so much better. Supreme shows up to Earth and Earth is, Supreme is basically Superman with gray hair and a, a red and white costume. And he sees that the Earth is kind of, it looks weird. <laughs> it looks superimposed over another Earth. It's is the, is the best way to describe it. He actually says, a world looks like a double, my world looks like a double exposed photograph. And he's like, well, got to go check this out. So he flies down to Earth, starts seeing what's going on. Um, and it says that he knows the population are like shimmering statues. They're all glowing. They're all hot. They're all beautiful. They're all, uh, muscly and shiny. And all these guys we see just, we just see the arms, but they have the same armband as Supreme. They're all flying down to check out the Supreme making comments about his muscles, how nineties he looks. And they're just trying to greet him, but he's not feeling the greetings here. He thinks something's amiss. Uh, he thinks one of his villains, like Loki, he references, I guess, is a Supreme villain here too. And he starts going at it with these Supremes, all these various Supremes. There's Sister Supreme. There's one called Original Supreme, one called Superion, who's kind of like a future Supreme, I guess. Uh, all different versions of Supreme. And he seems to get the upper hand on them until we see off panel. A certain, a certain, don't yeek bet on it, a certain Supreme, it's, Squeak the Supreme Mouse and Supreme Mouse, Squeak the Supreme Mouse kicks Supreme's ass. He is like one of the more, more powerful Supremes we'll learn. Uh, but one of the dust settles, they're all talking. They're, they're clearly not there to hurt him. They're, they're talking to him. They're like, hey, man, look, uh, sorry about all that. You know, Supreme Mouse gets a little gets a little squeaky, so to speak. But look, we got to take you to Supremacy. And he's like, look, I don't know what the hell's going on here, but these guys aren't trying to fight me anymore and or never really were seemingly so. And this mouse just kicked my ass. So I guess I will just go into this supremacy and see what's going on. So they fly into this little portal thing. And that's part one. This is divided up into three parts of the story. Why? I don't know, but I kind of like the way it's done each with its own little title. Uh, part two is called land of a thousand Supremes. This reminds me of, of course this came out before any of this stuff, the Citadel of Ricks, the council of Kangs. Well, this would have been after, I think this, I'm not sure if this would have been before or after the first, probably would have been after the first appearance of the council of Kangs, the council of Reeds, all that stuff. Very similar. Uh, the whole city is this big golden city uh, built around Supremes, all sorts of statues of Supreme. Everyone's a Supreme. It's like the Spider-Verse. Everyone's a different kind of Supreme. This is basically uh, across the Spider-Verse. It's across the Supreme-verse. There's also a, let's see, there's Superion. There's a, there's Macro Supreme, who's basically a giant metal Supreme. So there's all these different kinds of Supremes. And he, Supreme really doesn't understand what's going on. But you know, the basic gist is that the supremacy is full of all the Supremes from all the timelines. Now, a couple different Supremes along the way, Macro Supreme being one of them, they warn about this character, Darius Dax. And he's and Supreme's like, who the hell, who is this Darius Dax? I don't know this guy. And they're like, oh, you probably don't even, one of them says, you, you probably don't even have one of these in your timeline. So nah, don't, don't, don't even worry about it. We also, he goes to meet the, uh, the King Supreme, 
who takes him on a tour, uh, at which point he introduces him to original Supreme who explains his own origin. Uh, his work, uh, um, you know, his, his origin is basically this, this version of Supreme. Anyway, he went into a cave when he was a kid and found this magical band, the magical band, it turned him into Supreme. It's kind of more of a Shazami type thing. Only it's a magical band that turns in, into Supreme instead of a word. Um, but one day his world randomly disappeared and he found himself in limbo. And as more and more Supremes showed up in limbo and some of them with entire planets, uh, original Supreme team with them and they built the supremacy within limbo. So all these Supremes are getting dropped off, pushed into limbo as we find out whenever there's something called a revision. Of course, this is a super meta commentary on comics books and their revisions and character revisions and side characters and new characters. And Supreme explains about how he has these memory gaps and they say, well, no, this is so basically the supremacy is where all the revised versions of Supreme end up. And, but this Supreme is unique because 90s Supreme here, he is being rebooted, but he's getting to come to the supremacy before he's revised out. He's about to actually, he's, he's being revised in. So this, this Supreme was basically just born in a sense. It was, he was born because he was created in this universe and is about to be put into this current, current revision of Supreme. So it's a meta commentary on the actual revision of this character while being a commentary on uh, revisions overall and character additions throughout the years. So I kind of enjoyed it. It's it's like it's like one of those things where it's so on the nose that it's it's over the top on the nose purposely, I should say. You know, it's not subtle. All right. This is very hitting you over the head with it, but he's hitting over you over the head with it very purposely. He's not trying to be soy or, or subtle or coy with it, which is what I like about it. Okay. Cause, cause when you're just trying to be subtle or coy with some of this meta commentary, that's actually annoying to me. That's actually when it's, it makes it seem like you're more sort of a uh, nose in the air, ho- hoity toity about it. But look, he's very being, being very clear about the fact that this is a giant meta commentary. The, the overall story is about character revisions and sort of breaking that fourth wall of the fact that we're living, these characters are living uh, in created universes. Uh, but he gets more of a tour of, of this world, meeting all these different Supremes from all these different times, including these like three, they're kind of like the three Stooges Supremes. They're like the, these three Dumbo Supremes. There's all these different kinds of Supremes. There's Glory, who is originally more of like a Wonder Woman redux by Rob Liefeld, but is now uh, basically repurposed as a Supreme. Um, let's see. Um, more Supremes keep referencing, uh, this, this Darius Dax. They also do have a more of a meta commentary again about these secondary characters. Cause there are a lot of secondary, uh, Supreme characters we meet as well. Uh, then we meet the Supreme of the future. Of course, the smartest Supreme and he is offering, uh, several scientific explanations for what could be going on. So he, cause they basically say, we don't know. We just show up here and this is what happens. Um, so Supreme, our Supreme 90 Supreme is talking to uh, Supreme of the future and Supreme of the future says there are two schools of thought about all this. One suggests that when the first Supreme was created, his very aura caused reality to ripple periodically revising itself. Okay. The other theory maintains reality has always modified itself at interviews and that we Supreme ones are merely the first beings advanced enough to notice. So these Supremes are so strong, so powerful they can actually witness the revisions and experience the revisions that most characters would not actually be able to, to experience themselves basically. But he says, you know, what can I say? Perhaps both are incorrect. Now, if you excuse me, I must prepare for the fly fest and the five, the fly pass. And there's a whole party because the new universe is going to fly by for whatever reason, this Supreme got to go, got to make the choice. Even do you want to go into this new earth, into this new world? And he says, well, I'm Supreme and I'm sworn to protect the world. So if I stay here, I can't do that. So yeah, wherever it might lead, I'm going to go. And Supreme just walks off into the 
new revised fictional reality created just for this version of Supreme. He walks right into that, into that portal and right into the office of the place that he works, which is a comic book company. Yes. He is not reporter, Ethan Crane. He is comic book artist, Ethan Crane. And guess what? This is interesting. The book that he draws for dazzle comics. Listen up right now. It's Omni man. And is this the same Omni man? You're going to have to stay tuned to find out the same Omni man from invincible. But that's an interesting twist. or not, It's not a twist at the time because no one had heard of Omni-Man at the time. But when I saw that, that stood out to me because his, his editor is demanding the Omni-Man annual. He needs, he needs to be finished by Monday. And Supreme slash Ethan, he doesn't really know what's going on because he is aware of his experience. That it, you know, He kind of came into this world knowingly, but he didn't know the circumstances. So he, he's finding out that he's a comic artist. We see a headline about young blood saving the city. So he confirmed that with you know young blood exists in this universe. He's taking a taxi to his apartment, which... I guess his ID has, well, yeah, that does make sense. IDs do have addresses. He goes into his apartment. He sees the sketches. He opens up a closet. Now there is a, a Supreme looking, it's, it's, it's hard to say what this is. There is something that looks like a Supreme outfit hanging up. So it appears that, but it also looks very, like his, his outfit is actually just a Supreme outfit. It's basically a red shirt with sort of a, another white shirt over it within a V-neck. So he wears the Supreme sort of colors in his daytime. Um, so it, but it does appear this character is Supreme on his side, on his own time, looks at a picture and sees a picture of a young version of himself, uh, with his parents, kind of like a ma, pa, cat type thing. And we get a preview next issue. We're going to go to Little Haven, which I guess is where this version of Supreme was raised. Uh, my friends that does it for issue number 41 of Supreme going to grade this puppy now. And I look at this very, very differently than Wildcats 21 Supreme number 41 this is great for new readers because you know, this character exists, but you don't need to know anything about it. In fact, they actually introduced the fact that all these different Supremes have all these different origins. So don't get stuck on anyone. It seems like it could be too complicated on the surface by meeting a bunch of different Supremes in the first issue, but it actually simplifies it because it lays the groundwork for the fact that this is a revision. This, this entire series is about as a meta commentary on revisions, which I can see, you know, could be eye rolling if done if not done well, but Alan Moore, I would say does it, does it well, at least in this issue. Uh, so I really enjoyed this a lot. I, I enjoyed this so much more than wildcats 21. This really made me want to see what, what's going on here. It feels like a fresh start because we get a fresh start, even though we know there's this backstory, we know there's this history of Supreme. Um, we get a fresh start because this Ethan, we are going along for the ride with this version of Ethan, uh, Supreme. He is learning about his own universe. It's day one for him. It's day one for us. That is how you do a fresh start. I almost feel like this should be a number one but they didn't want to do that for whatever reason. Um, but if I'm an Alan Moore fan, which I am, and I'm picking up this book, unlike with Wildcats where I'm like, eh, I don't know, maybe I'll see where it goes. Maybe not this one, hundred percent picking up the next issue. Now to update you on my journey here, I don't have the next issue. Issue 42, issue 42 and 43 I'm missing and issue 22 and 23 I'm missing of Wildcats. I just found those two on eBay. Those are coming on the way. I got to find Supreme 42. I'll outsource. If you if you find this comic at a, a, at a, at a, you know, in a, in a back issue bin somewhere, it doesn't need to be you know, perfect condition. I'm, I'm willing to accept various levels. I just kind of want to have it and read it. So I will source outsources to Supreme 42. Don't go crazy. There, there are more expensive versions on eBay. I'm not trying to spend 30, 40 bucks on these, but you know, five to $10 range. I would, I'd be willing to spend. Um, let me know, let me know, but I should probably grade this one. As I was saying, First of all, let me go to the art again. I really love the art of Joe Bennett. It just very much fits the feel of what Alan Moore is is doing with this book. 
I would say I love the art actually. I'm going to go as far as to say I, not only do I love the art, but it just fits the story perfectly. Call me fucking nuts. I'm giving the art a 4.5. It just fits the story so perfectly, fits the feel so perfectly, and it's really crisp, really clean. He gets the diff- the vibe of the different Supremes from the different timelines and universes perfect. Um, and then the writing, again, this is leaps and bounds better than the Wildcats. Uh, you could tell Alan Moore was inspired here. You can tell he had more of, like I said, Rob Liefeld said, go to town. I don't know what Jim Lee told him. It probably just wasn't do whatever you want. There were the, they probably had to continue with certain, certain characters, certain stories and whatnot. Cause he had a bunch of other books going on and a bunch of characters in other books. So he can only do so much. <clears throat> Not the case here. Alan Moore had Supreme, had, could reign Supreme over this book. You could say, and it shows, I think I'm, I'm upgrading this as I review it. I'm giving this a 4.5 for the writing, a 4.5 for the art. I'm giving this a 9 out of 10 as opposed to a 6.5 out of 10. So right now, Alan Moore Supreme leaps and bounds above Alan Moore's Wildcats, but we'll see where it goes. This is just the, the start. But if we're going, if we're judging on on the first look, the first start, if it's a good ju- uh, a good jump on jumping on point for new readers, Supreme number 41 is an excellent jumping on point. I might say it's, it's one of the better jumping on points of a character that I've, I've read. I mean, it's, it's, this really makes me want to dig in and see where this is all going. The wildcats one, not so much. 6.5 was as charitable as I could be there. So that does it for more to the story. This is a little more in depth podcast. I'm going to talk about some of the kind of surrounding, maybe politics of, of image and everything. Eventually Wildstorm gets bought by DC throughout all this. Eventually um, Rob Liefeld breaks away at some point. This becomes awesome comics and maximum press. Um, so I will sort of update that as this, as these goes on. So you'll get some sort of a little bit of background news from 95, 96 and eventually 97, et cetera, as I go through these series. So I hope you enjoyed it. I'll take your feedback. Let me know what you thought about the debut of more to the story. Until next time, read comics, change the world. Well, I really hope the future me picks some good music out for this. Welcome to the first installment of Unforced Errors. As far as I'm concerned, the Internet's only Forceworks-oriented comic. Yeah, that's some sentences that you never thought would ever collide together. The Internet's only Force Forceworks podcast about the Forceworks comic. Um yes. I don't know how we ever decided to do this. Well, let's go ahead and just bring on uh, the SPC's big pimpin, Jeffrey Greek. Jeffrey, we've been making fun of the series here and there for like the last couple months. We've gone on real 90s bender. And yeah. a couple weeks ago, we went ahead and jumped off the uh, the Iron Man storyline and we even did one that focused on new warriors issue one people can listen to that in the public feed of me and token uncle brody and you and i were like you know we don't know when mark and i are going to commit to this series because this is one of those storylines is one of those teams one of those titles where it's like if you're going to talk about it once you might as well talk about it a little bit longer because it's just so damn odd so you and i agreed to join forces and talk about this I'll be honest, the only way I really knew about Forceworks was through the 1990s Iron Man animated series. I knew about the comic. I knew about who was in it, a little bit about what was going on. But it wasn't until you were like, well, how about we take a deep dive into it? I was like, you mean I actually got to read this stuff? 
And I knew it was weird. I thought it looked quirky. And I think all those assumptions were basically proven. But I'm curious. Why this title? Uh, well, you know, after we did that Iron Man episode, <laughs> I went and looked on the Marvel Unlimited app, and I was, I was actually shocked to see that they actually have all of the issues of Forceworks on it. I, I figured that this many. would be... Yeah, I I, fi- yeah, I figured this would be one of those where they had like issue one and then nothing else, like you know Thunderstrike or something like that. But nope, they got all twenty-two banging issues. So and I was banging, like, what the, what the hell? Yeah, I mean, banging is the is the best way to kind of describe it, folks. What we're gonna do today is we're gonna try. We're, we're gonna talk about the first five issues kind of gradually. The first, um, the first issue, the first issue. Oh my God. I almost pulled a fucking mark. My bad. The first <laughs> issue is 44 pages. So we're going to kind of glance on it. And the next episode in a couple of weeks, because Mark covers next week, we will go ahead and actually start doing the issue by issue recaps, more SPC style. But I think this is interesting because force works is definitely, uh, how do I put it? A relic of its time. I think yeah. it's weird when I watch movies now or my wife is really into fashion. She, she owns her own brand and like nineties aesthetic is coming back. And for SPC listeners, especially the patrons, everyone knows like the nineties is where Mark and I cut our freaking teeth. Mind you, the fact that I still have most of my baby teeth in the nineties during the Clinton era, <laughs> but like, that's why I remember the cool shit. That's where all the stuff I really grew up with, with formed. So I thought, Going back and looking at this, it would be just nostalgia overload. But sometimes nostalgia makes you wonder, <laughs> did I really like it in the first place? The first issue is 44 smacking pages long. That was really rare for Marvel at the time. It's a thick issue. And I think what's important is to understand, like, this team is familiar. It could, we could almost just call it the Avengers. We're talking about Iron Man, U.S. Agent, Scarlet Witch, um, uh, Jessica Carpenter, Spider-Woman, Spider-Woman Wonder Man. Yeah, and Wonder and then, Man. Yeah, and then we have our John Jones knockoff. Century. Century. I mean, I'm just like, I just, I'll explain why I think he's a John Jones knockoff later, but um, this is basically it. So, so let's just go ahead and talk about what's going on that leads these characters to want to be a team that's not the Avengers. They spend like the first half of this book talking about it. the first couple pages very explicitly talk about it essentially the west coast avengers who had been around first as a limited series and a few years later came back as a full title for about a decade um they break up and i remember that issue staunchly i have that issue i i i think i have a near full collection of the west coast avengers it's my personal favorite avengers title and towards the end of it um you know the they just basically agree that they're, you know, two Avengers teams on the two coasts. It's just not working. They're diverting resources. The threats are becoming bigger. They're constantly having to pull from their reserve rosters and everything else. The Avengers just feel like they've watered down their capabilities. So Captain America, who's the chairman of the Avengers board, uh, forces everyone to basically come together and vote to disassemble the West Coast Avengers. And some people like Iron Man at the time agree with it. And, you know, at this point we had Hawkeye, we had Mockingbird, who I think dies uh, earlier in the West Avengers series, you know, dies West Coast Avengers series. We've got um, Cheetah, Hank Pym, U.S. Agent. So, I mean, it, it was a roster that's almost exactly like 
what we're seeing of force works except minus some of the extra characters. First question is, did you read the West Coast Avengers? And when it was time for this transition, did it make sense? Is what we were seeing with too many Avengers titles something that was worth complaining about? Because I, I collected the main Avengers flagship series. I collected the West Coast Avengers. I liked West Coast Avengers more because I just thought it was more interesting. But I don't really, to this day, and I don't think anyone's really covered it, I still don't understand why it was necessary to just flip it entirely and have this new team that was basically the old team. It was just rebranded. I'm not really sure what the thinking was there because, uh, I mean, I assume West Coast Avengers was canceled because of sales, but uh, I don't know. I'm not sure why they thought, like, basically just rebranding it as West Coast Avengers, but extreme. Yeah. But Roy Ray, <clears throat> I think that, I think that was like the thinking. American gladiators version of the Avengers. They're all just buff, barely with clothes on. And yeah. it's just like, we know you didn't like this team, but let's make this team that you don't like more extreme. Yeah. They do a lot of like Jojo bizarre adventure uh, poses in this. You know, if you've ever read that manga, it's like oddly ironic <coughs> in some way. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I looked back and the West Coast Avengers was selling pretty well. It, it ebbed and flowed um, because its real competition was not the main Avenger series. It was actually X-Men. It was actually Uncanny X-Men. X-Men seems to be the only title where you can have multiple titles, Uncanny X-Men, X-Men, X-Force, New Mutants, where you can have all of them. And they all typically do pretty well because you're going to get your person who buys one Avengers book. I'm sorry, one X-Men book who's going to buy another. Same could be said for Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, et cetera, et cetera. The Avengers really have never, and I mean never, even post-MCU and everything, have never really been able to succeed at that. So it's one of those things where I think they were like, we can't, we can't dilute the Avengers brand at Marvel because they're going to decide one or the other. They're not grabbing both like the others. So in a way it was almost like, well, it's like the Avengers, but you're going to want to really buy it because they're not the Avengers. (laughs) And as a marketer, I don't understand how that's helpful. (laughs) Well, apparently it wasn't very, very uh, successful. So, you know, was this a series that you read when it was coming out or did you pick it up later? Uh, I was only familiar with it because of the two issues that they did with uh, the Hands of the Mandarin crossover. So that was basically all the exposure I'd had to them because I was collecting Iron Man at the time. So when that crossover started between Force Works and Iron Man and uh, War Machine, you know, I went ahead and picked up all the issues of it. So, and so what, obviously I didn't find it intriguing making... enough to carry on. Yeah. I mean, what was. What was the big draw? Because let's let's just look at the roster right here. You got Iron Man. Is it fair to say that even in the 90s, Iron Man had kind of bumped up from a C-lister to a B-list hero? Or was he an A-tier hero? Well, he had a cartoon on, so... I mean, it didn't last very long, but... I mean, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like they tried to make it big, and then it really didn't work. I feel like they were really trying to market it for people that were reading Image Comics. Because oh, yeah. let's look at let, let's look at how things are here. We have super buff Iron Man who almost is never out of the suit. We see Tony Stark in a couple panels throughout the first five issues. So yeah. we got that. 
we got Spider Woman, who's always in her like you know spread eagle Spidey pose. It it just you know there's that. Then you got like quarter naked, you know like ninety percent naked Scarlet Witch, which most people will not complain about. I certainly did. Yeah. Then you got Wonder Man, who comes and goes and disappears. I don't understand. I don't understand how Wonder Man keeps existing. I've never found him to be compelling. I've never found him to be remotely interesting. I don't know why they keep bringing him back. And I feel well, like don't don't, yeah, don't, don't worry, Remzo. When the uh, MCU brings out the Wonder Man TV show, you'll you'll care again. I'm sure. Fast forward to like six months from now, Mar- uh, Marvel has scrapped Wonder Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you got Wonder Man, and then you have U.S. Agent, which is a character I like. Except they completely change him around. And I think he's he's the worst looking character in this entire yeah. series. So yeah, yeah I mean the, let's like every, every, Yeah, every time I see every time I see him in his costume, I just keep wondering like, does he glue that little piece on his nose down or what? It's it's so long and pointy. Like you just know that if you wore it in real life, like it would immediately be curling up and stuff. It's but, bad uh, cosplay at the most. I want to get the, uh, I want to get the people here. I want to see like who freaking wrote this and drew it, because I mean, just right there, if that roster is that an impressive roster for the time? People looking at that now might be like, oh, this is just B list Avengers. But like at the time, were these characters who, for the most part, could sell a book? Like, were you interested in them enough? Well, I mean, the only one who had a top title of their own is iron man so yeah i know uh i know spider woman had a mini series around that time but i think that's pretty much it isn't it i think so so let, let's look at this the the writers they had two writers for this they had dan wow dan abnetti and andy lanning and then for the artwork they had tom tenney uh ryan garcia as the inker jack morelli as the letterer and joe Ro- rosas as colorist and at the time uh tom defalco was the uh was the editor-in-chief and had neil yamtov as editor i gotta be honest other than tom defalco you never heard of any of them i've never heard of any of them (laughs) well you know something i just noticed has iron man's armor always had abs they add it slowly, like in the mid eighties, but this is the modular armor. They were basically like, we need him to basically look more man than Iron Man. So they went with like everything, but like the George Clooney bat nipples. <laughs> and, and let's just run down. Like I, I'm not a fan of this armor, but for me, like this is when I thought of Iron Man for years, like this is why I thought of Iron Man. Yeah. US agent. This was, this was a departure because like you mentioned, he's like, He's kind of like a pseudo gimp because he's like in that in that tight, you know, suit. But they've got like that little like thing covering his nose. And I'm just like, <laughs> what? That's so stupid. weird. It's stupid, too. They they try and go with lasers because it's the 90s. Everything has to have lasers. They give him a laser shield, but it's not like Captain America's plasma shield. This one is barely a shield. And what's even worse is what they do to his face. Issues one through five, you see enough of him in and out of the costume because I think they need to remind you that he doesn't always look like a freak. But when he puts the costume on, he almost looks like a scrotum. He just looks like he's like aged 50 years. You can barely see his eyes. He's always got a snicker going on and he's got more wrinkles 
than like Desaad's like Desaad from DC. Like that's what I'm looking at. I'm like, yeah. this is just an ugly motherfucker. Yeah. Why do you think yeah, they did the US agent so dirty? Like he was he was already black he was already black suit Captain America. That was pretty cool as is. Yeah. I think I think they thought that it looked cool. it's it's the nineties, man. It's the nineties. But not a weird time. Get to keep reading. Yeah, I just can't get over that nose piece. It's just flimsy. It's like I'm surprised they never show like a side portfolio of him where it's like he moves his head really fast and that thing just like flickers. Yeah, it's just <laughs> they they went to Party City, Iron Man. So in, in the first issue, especially, and then she's three for four. Um, you know what what they've done is they've they 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 meet at the West Coast Avengers compound. Yeah. And he basically is like, listen, guys, um, I agree with that. You know, we need to separate the team. But he's basically like, listen, all the other people were losers. You're all really cool. So what yeah. we should probably do, because the Avengers are right, we've got more hardcore stuff going on. I don't really want to do shit with them. I want to be my own man, but I want to have my cool crew with me. So what he does is he brings them to a place called The Works. They don't even really agree on a name. And I think they're getting very 90s of that minimalist name. It's like we're just The Works. And he takes them to basically an underground silo, which is like as grungy 90s comics as it can get, where they've got like apartments in their own danger room. And within a matter of minutes, they're already dealing with an alien invasion. Yeah. So the it's Cree. Yeah. It's just it, it it's just all over the place. So right right off the bat, I, I wasn't necessarily it's not that the team isn't impressive it's just that i don't get why they had to be anything other than the west coast avengers i don't like you you and i were talking about this the other day everyone has like giant necks it's like they're all the same they're like oddly long too it's like they're thick and they're longer than they should be it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense (laughs) so right there i'm just not i it's weird (laughs) yeah See, one thing, one thing, you know, I was trying to like put my finger on like what's so weird about this art. And I realized there's no shading. Everything is either totally black or it's in color. There's like, mm-hmm. there's no shading in this freaking comic book. And so everybody looks oddly two dimensional. I mean, even though, I mean, they are two dimensional, but. They look two-dimensional. They look like in some of these scenes, they look like they're in like they came out of a medieval, you know, tapestry. Yeah, and that's not a compliment either. No, no, it's not. I think we I think, you know, as as we kind of cover the roster and we bring up the weird artwork, we we have to mention the giant walking space Thor zombie in the room, which is Century. Century yes. comes in later in the first issue. Issue two, you see him more in action. But by the time we get to issue five, where we're on like our third story arc in five issues, um, we still don't know much about him. Century, in my mind, you see, he, here's the biggest thing I could compare this to. This isn't like really an Avengers book. This is like a Justice League book because immediately they go into fighting aliens. Immediately they meet some alien ally who's going to add some like diversity to the group i don't know and uh, century i was about to call him vision century talks and acts and kind of appears he's like zombie thor but he's got like an axe which is i guess cool he talks like vision we know he's an alien 
So he's more like John Jones in a way. I don't, I don't like him as a character. He's the place, he's the place filler guy. He's the guy who's supposed to be, you know, ambiguous and mysterious enough to keep you interested. But I'm more interested in the fact that Scarlet Witch just keeps touching everyone and looking at them in the eyes like she's going to fuck the entire team. Like he's just like when that's the most interesting thing going on right now. I don't I don't really get what else is going on. And so just, um, you know, just just to really lay it down thick. They they introduced to you the entire roster in the first couple issues and then by the end of issue one they've already killed wonder man again and then yeah. we have this new guy down it's like i just i i don't i don't get it it's like a team where they want everyone to matter in this new book new title and then they get rid of one guy and they replace him with somebody brand new what what's your what's your take on century uh, very he's a very forgettable character you know i don't think he ever comes back <laughs> i i don't I don't think I've ever seen him in anything other than this. I know he was on the cartoon. But even then they make him look like less like a zombie. I mean, his yeah. fucking Well, I think the zombie thing, I think that's just the <clears throat> that's just the art. You know, everybody sort of looks zombie-ish in this. Well, we already called John Walker a scrotum, so. Yeah. 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 I uh I don't this looks like Marvel's attempt at trying to do image stuff. Yeah. Well, it is. Well, it is the time when a uh, image was really starting to cut in on their market. So yeah, maybe that's what they were trying to do. You know, this is a uh, young blood. This is a uh, wildcats right down to a uh, weren't wildcats weren't their main enemies. Aliens. I was about to say they almost look like them too. <laughs> the aliens what what were they called they're called um trying to bring it up here trying to bring in the scourge or something yeah this yeah these are these are called a, the scourge i believe yeah they uh they just look they look so odd oh and because it's the 90s too we can't also forget one of our other new characters plato plato is really oh. the first AI Friday, because I think people forget because of the MCU, Jarvis wasn't necessarily Iron Man's butler. Jarvis was the Avengers butler. He very rarely ever appeared in Iron Man comics. He always appeared in Avengers comics. And then you get Friday, who was introduced uh, technically through the, uh, the Ultimate Avengers series. And then later they turn it into an AI Jarvis. But Plato was really the first AI computer that he could like talk to and had a personality. And Plato just looks like a hologram Dr. Manhattan. And um, he basically does everything that you see with the current AI systems that Iron Man and other heroes kind of mess with. It's, uh, I think it's kind of ahead of its time because they never really had an AI like support center before. And when you look yeah. at a team that's less than like five people, like it makes sense that they would do that. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, let's not forget the other prominent character in this, the recorder that just shows up and then decides just, to hang just, around just, and just everybody's just fine with it, I guess. I mean, when you have enough aliens running around the place, I mean, I, wonder man's dead. It's not like anyone's going to fight for his room. <laughs> Century yeah. doesn't yeah. sleep. That's one of his things. He doesn't sleep, so I mean, he doesn't need space. Yeah, it's it's just so weird that this recorder guy that like he just 
I'm going to hang around for a while. And everybody's just like, oh, okay. And then he keeps tinkering with the systems and whatnot. So obviously he's, he's not a good guy, but yeah. He's minor security threat. Without the comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the strangest thing about all this to me is just, they just accept him. Like this alien thing who is responsible for Wonder Man's death because he's the one who told the Kree, you know, who they were supposed to be targeting. But yeah, yeah, sure. I'll let him hang around unsupervised, unguarded. Because that just, that just makes total sense. So let's, let's go ahead and put this in the cliff notes version. West coast Avengers disassembles. Iron Man wants to do his own thing, brings his bestest friends to join the works. And as soon as they join the works, Iron Man dies, aliens invade, the century, I'm sorry, yeah, century just shows up and they think that it has something to do with a, a spell that Scarlet Witch pulled him from another part of space or something. But he yeah. sees what's going on with these other aliens. The recorder also shows up and he's now like a prisoner, but they allow him to keep running around. The next three issues we see basically this uh, this alien horde is going around destroying planets, kind of like the White Martians did to the green Martians, which is why I compare it to vision right. um, to, uh, to John Jones and March of Manhunter. So century is kind of like that because century is supposed to kill these things. And then by the time issue three comes around, wonder man is dead, but not dead. Scarlet, which thinks she has something to do with it. Century is just going to hang around. And meanwhile, you've got like this other parallel storyline coming in which um, it, this will eventually tie into war machine and everything else. There's this, country you know this euro block country that is in the middle of a civil war and the avengers are just totally cool with iron man doing his own thing now that's another thing that doesn't make sense it's like you would think that everyone would be kind of upset that after disassembling the team for all the reasons that iron man agrees with tony still wants to be in charge of something so he just does a rebrand and then Captain America is calling in to ask him to intervene because war machine is involved in the civil war that he really shouldn't be involved in and everyone's just kind of cool with it. So this is a book where they, I mean, just the first five issues and next week we'll start really getting into it. They just kind of hop around and everyone is cool with everything that's going on. They don't even mourn Wonder Man. Wonder Man yeah. dies and they're like, fuck, well, we have two new alien friends now. And, yeah. and Scarlet Witch, who's like always so touchy, touchy with Wonder Man. Now she's like, I don't know if it's just the way they do the pose work and everything. She's always like touching US agent and his scrotum face. I'm just like, this is yeah. just weird. This is a weird book. Yeah. I don't think we yeah. can do it a proper rating because we really just want to kind of set the stage today. Next week, we'll actually do some, some SPC reviews, but like, this is a weird fucking book and I can't not help, but want to continue reading it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Agreed. This is going to be fun, man. This, this is going to be, be fun. fun. Well, unforced errors coming to you. Every other Sunday here at SPC on Patreon. Jeffrey, anything that you want to tease? I mean, have you read ahead? I read ahead to issue seven. That's about it. I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to try and get through as many as I can over the weekend, start taking notes. Anything you think people should be on the lookout for if they're not totally convinced now? Should they go ahead and actually read this along with us? Well, of course. But uh, I mean, I'll say, as I recall, Hands of the Mandarin was a pretty solid crossover. Yes. So 
Yeah. You get to see Iron Man in samurai armor. Which, if you wanted to see that, or Scarlet Witch 90% naked, it's all here yeah. for you, folks. Well, that's about <laughs> it for today. If, you, if, you've, if you've ever wondered what what Marvel Comics would have looked like if it was drawn by a uh, medieval scholar, check out Forceworks. The art's weird. Coming to you from the 19th century and the 90s. All right, folks. Read comics. Change the world. Chicago. Ordinary cops were losing the battle. The criminal mastermind called Overlord and the super freaks held our city in their terrifying grip. Then a miracle happened. When I found him, he had no memory of his past. I helped him find an identity and a life. Now we have a fighting chance. Well, hello there, gang. It's your old pal, Mark Clare. He's back, and I've got a new show for you. That's right, a brand new show. Don't worry, Thunderstruck, the world's foremost and perhaps only Thunderstrike podcast, will still continue, but I've started a new project in my comic-collecting life, and with that new project, I felt a podcast for you, the SBC patrons, the people who fund this program, who help us do this thing, who pay us to talk about comics. What more can we really ask for? Uh, so this is another show for you. This is going to be called the Savage Dragon Catch-Up Podcast. Now, what is what is going on with this podcast? What is the deal? What are you catching up on? Well, as I've talked about many times on the show, my favorite comic of all time is The Savage Dragon by Eric Larson. I've been following it since the very first miniseries into the regular series since the early 90s. Uh, but I did fall off of it when I fell off of comics somewhere in the very late 90s. Uh, when I went to college, uh, probably not coincidentally, started doing a lot more of the party and the drinking, the chicks, or at least the attempts with the chicks and that sort of thing. So uh, I fell off the comic stuff, came back to comics, maybe 10 to 12 years later, I want to say, uh, around 2012, 2013. And one of the first things I did, actually, the issue that, that got me back into comics was an issue of Savage Dragon. I said, you know, I'm just going to pick up Dragon and see where it's at. And I was just right back in. And then that made me want to go back and read the entire collection. So I have gone back and I have read this whole series. I've actually read this series probably three times now. Uh, I've read them all through the Savage Dragon archi- archives. And eventually I did catch up um, through the later issues, the more modern issues the last couple of years I've been keeping up with. Uh, with it. But as you know, as longtime listeners know, you know, I'm a fan of Eric Larson, the creator, not so much a fan of Eric Larson, the person him and I have, have had our wars. You could say, um, I've been blocked from his Twitter at some point. Uh, I did, I did a couple Substack articles about this anyway. I don't really care cause I will always respect the creator. Uh, so, uh, you know, but because of that, I've decided that, you know, when I was back home in Connecticut a few weeks ago, I decided to finally liberate my comic collection, the, the great Connecticut vault, as I have talked about so many times, it is now here with me. It is now the Florida vault. All my comics are here. It's a total mess. They're not in order. They're not arranged. But uh, so I have a lot to go through. But one project that I decided I wanted to embark on was I wanted to actually collect the individual issues of look, it's my favorite series of all time. That remains true. So I'd like to collect all these issues, at least through what I would call the dragon era. Uh, Spoiler alert. The main the main character of this book does eventually die for real for real in Savage Dragon issue number 225 that came out a few years ago. Um, he had already not been the main character of the book for, for a while. His son, Malcolm Dragon, had taken over the book, uh, but he was still sort of a side character and eventually died. So I call that the end of the Dragon era. My goal is to collect the physical issues now, starting off from where I left off, which was issue 64 
I wish that I, I had kept buying after that, especially because I wish I got issue 102, the first appearance of Invincible. So that's one that's probably going to be the most difficult one for me to track down. But I've decided I'm going to start trying to collect these issues. And as I collect these issues, I will do a podcast about each episode. So I will read the physical comic. Now, even though I've read all these issues before, I read them all mostly in the Savage Dragon archives, which are huge collections of books and they're in black and white. So this is going to be the first time I've actually seen a lot of these in color, even though I know what happened in the story and I've read the stories, a lot of them beyond issue 64, which is what I had collected up until, uh, I there I had not seen uh, any of these in color before. Also, another neat thing about collecting the individual issues, uh, as opposed to just reading them in the archives, especially when it comes to Savage Dragon, Eric Larson has one of the best letter columns, I will say, of all time. Sometimes, I swear there's been issues where his little letter columns are four, five, six pages. Uh, he, and he really will... Sometimes they'll argue. I mean, heck, he had a whole, we talked about this in the podcast before. He had a whole knockdown drag out with Peter David across the letter columns of his own comic and Peter David's comic. So uh, Eric Larson really turns his letter column into something special. I always used to love the letter columns in Marvel and DC comics, but they were always just one page and a lot of generic letters often got in there, you know, but the Eric Larson letters, I mean, he, he as you'll see, because we're going to talk about this, that's part of this podcast is I'm not going to just, I'm going to recap the issue, give you my thoughts on it, but I'm also going to talk a little bit about the letters page and some things that goes on in there, as well as sometimes there's, well, almost always there are backups and that sort of thing. So I'm going to talk about the issue as a whole. Um, and as I collect each issue, I will do a podcast episode about it and it will enter my collection. It is really that simple. Now, I'm not good at this. I've already, see, I bought a small batch of of books. I've gotten, I've already bought through issue 80, except I'm missing maybe one or two issues in there. Uh, I'm terrible at this. Somehow I got three copies of issue 68, three copies, and then I think two copies of issue 72. So I'm, I'm really bad at this, but my, uh, my foibles are your gain potentially. So I'm going to offer this to the patrons first, since you guys are going to be the first ones to hear this. Uh, I will offer this to the public in October for any new patrons, but first to any patron, any of you listening right now that upgrades by the time I offer this to the public, which will be in about, you know, two weeks or so, uh, to any patron of you that upgrades uh, to any level, I will send you one of my bonus issues of Savage Dragon. So maybe even more. Heck, if you upgrade to the Infinity Gauntlet level or to the Kirby Club level, I'll send you all three. Next person to do that, I'll send you all three. You get hardcover paperbacks sent to you every single month by Remzo and I, not every single month, every three months. I, I lied. Uh, you get to produce an episode of the show every three months. You might even get to be a part in the next SBC comics draft as uh, Jeffrey and Eric are prime level key Kirby club. I'm making a lot of these words up. Patrons uh, recently participated in patrons. Are, are, have already heard that episode. So uh, that is my offer to you. You're going to get first crack upgrade. Trust me. You're not going to regret it. You're going to be very happy. Uh, now that being said, it is time to get into Savage Dragon, issue number 65 in color. And this puppy, as all these issues are, written, created by Eric Larson, as we know, written by Eric Larson, penciled by Eric Larson, inked by Eric Larson, letters not by Eric Larson, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, and colors by a bunch of people. But there was one point, I don't think he ever did the colors, there was one point Eric even did do the lettering for a bit, but uh, Chris Eliopoulos is a pretty pretty great great editor, so I mean, I think that's doing too much probably trying to letter your own book, but there was, I think there was a few issues, or there was at least one where Eric actually did like literally everything. 
But uh, before I get into this issue, a quick recap. I'm not going to recap all of Savage Dragon. We've talked a lot about, about Savage Dragon on the show. There's a number of Savage Dragon episodes. You can go back into the SPC archives. Just search Savage Dragon in your podcast feed, and you will find a couple episodes. We most recently did uh, looked at an SPC reissued of the Savage Dragon issue zero, which does break down his origin. So while SPC listeners or anybody who's read that knows his origin, the reader at this point in issue 65, does not know his origin. Dragon also doesn't, doesn't know his origin. He is amnesiac, but he is a super-powered cop with a fin on his head. And to recap where we have been kind of leading up to this issue, Dragon's wife, or I guess almost wife, because it was at their wedding, was killed by Overlord. And the identity of the Overlord at that time had been secret. It was originally crime boss Antonio Segetti, and this current version, it is unknown who this version of the Overlord. I think, I think at one point, Mace briefly wore the Overlord armor as well. Um, Angel is also attacked. Uh, Angel is, uh, Jennifer's daughter that Dragon is now raising uh, on his own. He's a single dad. Um, after all this, Overlord was uh, revealed as the as uh, Vic Nixon, uh, one of Dragon's uh, cop partners, which is a, a reveal that was not really uh, did not really go over well with Dragon fans. And uh, and uh, it was maybe that's why I quit. I, I don't remember because that that actually kind of lines up. Everybody's complaining about this issue. Uh, I, I I read what more issues after that sixty four, but as you'll see in the letters column, a lot of people are complaining about issue sixty three. And I don't remember why I stopped reading at that moment. I thought it was just because I moved to college. I wonder if I got pissed at Eric. It would maybe it would be the maybe it was the first time because I, I've been pissed at him recently in recent months to the point that I'm not even trying to read the book right now. Uh, maybe I'll come back. I don't know, but he's just he's gone too far for me. But I'll always see this legendary run uh, of Dragon from the beginning to issue at least like 225. It's just a spectacular, spectacular uh, book. Uh, yeah, but that that reveal kind of went over uh, not too well with the audience necessarily. Uh, but it's really Vic Nixon's body, sort of controlled by the bra- downloaded brainwaves of Antonio Segetti, who was the original Overlord. So it was really the original Overlord uh, controlling the whole thing. But Vic Nixon's sub- sort of subconscious was in there. Um, so, uh, eventually, Dragon uh, finally uh, defeats also defeats this guy Simon Kane, but he kills him when he knocks his head off. And you know, Dragon was already kind of like had enough of this, putting his family in danger, Angel getting hurt, all of this stuff had been building up. Uh, t- taking out the Overlord was kind of the thing he saw as his his last task. And so after that, after he knocked Simon Kane's head off. He quit the SOS because he had gone too far and he was sick of putting his family in danger. So that's kind of where we are at uh, right now. And of course, right before this was, that, as I mentioned, uh, the reveal of the Overlord as Vic Nixon. Uh, so we get into our main story and we start off with Dragon and his new girlfriend. It's been it's been long enough, so, so give him a break here. His new girlfriend, Marcy, are talking about Dragon being retired while everyone seems to just want him back in the forest. And Dragon's kind of getting the itch. You know, he's saying, well, maybe, you know, maybe I should be going out there. Maybe there's suicides are on the rise. And, you know, bef- well, we'll find out later. But, uh, you know, on the surface, suicides being on the rise, it doesn't seem like something a, a hero could really help with. But we'll find out why that is. Um, Sergeant Marvel, who is the current leader of Special Operations Strike Force, which is the the uh, superhero organization that uh, Dragon quit, he believes that Simon Kane, aka the Possessor, is still li- alive, and that he is causing all these suicides. And he gives us a little recap of how Dragon uh, killed the Possessor, knocking his head off. Uh, he basically, basically, Possessor had taken control of all these different heroes, was controlling the body of the, the Devastator, um, had frozen the heroes, and Dragon convinced him to fight him one on one. So all the heroes were just standing there like frozen while they fought each other. Uh, and then widow rock's wife goes into not Dwayne, 
Rock Johnson, but the hero Rock uh, goes into contractions. So Dragon kind of gets stressed, is worried about the babies, and just goes overboard, knocks his head off, kills the Devastator. But Sergeant Marvel is saying, I believe that the that Simon Kane jumped bodies, the Possessor jumped bodies, and is still alive and is causing this rash of suicide. So he decides, and he also gets another recap. Now that's one thing in um, Savage Dragon. There are a lot of recaps. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of recaps. And you know, it's I think it's one of those things where. Eric always wants to be, even when there's like these convoluted sort of backstories and there's been a lot to, he always does his best to recap you and through sort of a, the natural progression of the book. And now I think longtime listeners and not longtime listeners, longtime readers of Savage Dragon might at some point have had, had enough with these sort of recaps. Um, but they never really bothered me. I always kind of liked them, uh, especially because sometimes, you know, Eric would work a little slow. Sometimes you're going months between stories. Next thing you know, it's been a year since a lot of this stuff has taken place, two years. So it's kind of nice to get the recap. And I think they're done, they're done in a way that are not too offensive. So especially for you guys, uh, if you want to follow along with me and pick up issue 65, as many, honestly, many issues of Savage Dragon are issue 65, a pretty good starting point. Meanwhile, we are back to a dragon sort of getting used to living with Marcy and she's cooking him some food that, yeah, he's not really uh, digging the food too much. He really just misses uh, Jennifer's uh, healthy diet and her food. And, you know, he just he just really misses uh, Jennifer as, as this angel, of course. Uh, but as they're having this conversation, uh, you know, we, who busts into the door? It's big old red barbaric member of Freak Force, one of Dragon's teammates on the SOS. And he's saying, look, man, we need you, man. We're in trouble. Only you can help and dragon basically just just tells him to fuck off he says i'm retired get out of here uh dragon puts angel to bed reads her bedtime story then gets a phone call from superhero star and star says look something big's going on there's something with the possessor and then dragon's just like no i've had it uh, good night Dragon gets up the next morning, gets ready, shaves, brushes his teeth. Uh, the radio is saying, you know, that there's Sergeant Marvel believes that the suicides are not natural and that he suspects a foul play. And they have tried to contact Dragon, but they have been unable to contact him. And Dragon just turns the radio off. He's having none of it. Uh, again, the family is out. They're eating, uh, eating lunch. Uh, you know, Angel's Angel's being kind of Angel. There, there's kind of like some d- dynamics here because, you know, um, Marcy's kind of trying to tell Angel not to eat sloppily like that. Uh, like just drink it from the bowl of soup and dragon saying, well, she got that from her mom. So, uh, you know, there's, there's some dynamics going on. Cause you know, dragons raising them is a raising, uh, his dead ex, not wife's, but well, she's not actually dead. We'll also find out as well. Um, that's a whole separate story, but she's actually, her body is being held by the covenant of the sword who you will meet later. Uh, but anyway, they're, they're kind of walking down the street with this new family dynamic and, uh, you know, Marcy's still telling them not, not to be a hero. And they see this guy run in front of a car and get hit by a car. So later they're back at home and Angel is watching this really fucking creepy ass clown show. I totally forgot about some of these weird cartoon things. Uh, Eric would toss on the TV in the background. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there, there's more, there's more, more things are awry, more, more suicides are happening. There's a mass suicide that took place and dragons like Christ, maybe I think I really got to do something about this. And right as they're having this conversation, mighty man, who's actually Ann Stevens, nurse Ann Stevens, who transforms into a man by ta- slapping her wrists together. That's right. Before it was cool. It's actually a pretty cool character. This is not, this is not Eric being woke. Uh, he's getting attacked by Mighty Man. Then Super Patriot joins in. Star, even Thor. Yes, because Thor is, even though that's a Marvel character, uh, Thor, it, you even see, uh, it even looks like the the fist of the thing here. Spider-Man. They, they, Eric would like to do stuff like this where he would show like little snippets of what you know is going to be another, another character, even though that character isn't really here. So that's kind of what we get in here. Basically, everyone is teaming up, beating up the dragon. He gets knocked out, wakes up, 
and is talking to Simon Kane in his uh, brand new body. And he said, and Simon Kane goes on this big multi-plage rant, and Eric likes to do this. And I, I kind of enjoy when he has the villains go on a rant, mostly because it's Dragon's re- reaction to them is always uh, pretty hilarious. But uh, this, this is sort of it is Simon Kane when he was killed in the Devastator body uh, by Dragon, knocked his head off, he had a revelation. He realized, oh yeah, what you got to do to bad guys is you got to kill them. I want to be a hero. That's what the dragon did. He killed me. I want to be just like the dragon. I want to be a hero. So I'm going to kill the bad guys too. So he went around and started killing bad guys in this new body uh, by, uh, you know, he started with gang leaders, rapists, thieves, scums of the earth. But then he said, why stop there? Why stop with just the criminals? Why stop at all? He had to just keep going and keeping going because people are bad. They're all, they're nearly all bad. Only the heroes like him and dragon deserve to live. And dragon, he goes on this rant and he just thinks dragon's going to be on his side. And we get a big full page of dragon up close just going, my God, man, do you know what you're saying? And then dragon goes on a rant. This is always fun about these Eric books, you know, dragon. I, I really always love the dialogue in Eric Larson's books especially when Dragon and some villain are sort of going at it in dialogue. And Dragon is now just going off onto him. He's like, you're you're a psychopath. This is a total tragedy. I didn't mean to kill you. That was an accident. Killing should not always be the last resort. You should never be trying to kill people. And then Simon Cain realizes, he's like, oh my God, I this is the guy I was looking up to and, and this whole time and killing all these people. And he's saying I should have done that. And I just totally fucked up. What have I become? And he impales himself on this steel thing. So um, in the aftermath, Dragon is talking to Sergeant Marvel and he basically uh, tells him, look, like, yeah, there's, this is, I'm the only one. And the, the reason they need a dragon is because dragon is the only one immune to Simon Kane's power because of Savage Dragon's healing ability. Uh, he, he's, his brain is able to heal so fast that it repels uh, Simon Kane's mind controlling power. So that's why they need a dragon to do this. So dragon is talking to Sergeant Marvel afterwards and he's saying, look, I want to be on call. You know, I'm not going to be full time again, uh, but if you need me for real, if it's something only I can do, then give me a call. You know, that, that that's, that's where we're going to be. It's basically going to be in the reserves. Marcy, however, they kind of all agree with that, that they, he wasn't going to go back to fighting. And he says, she says, look, you know, think about me. Think about Angel. He's like, I have. And I've made the decision anyway. He's like, just please stay with me, Marcy, please. And then Marcy just walks away and says, I'm sorry. So that is that is it for Savage Dragon number 65. That is it for Savage Dragon and Marcy. Now I want to talk a little bit about some of the extra stuff in the book, because as I said, Eric has always an extensive letter page as well as uh, the backups. Now, well, we'll get to the backups. Actually, why don't we talk about the backups first? I like the concept of the backups. I like that Eric puts uh, just little snippets of other artists in there just to get them some exposure and stuff like that. You know, there's Savage Dragon Burt and Hitler's Brain Burt, I think is the funniest idea, but it falls flat. Um, and this is in like a lot of these books. It's, it's basically a Dilbert knockoff, which with a Savage Dragon character and Hitler's brain character. Of course, Hitler's brain is inside was inside the Brainy Ape. That's a whole connected to Hellboy. We did an issue about this as well of SPC. Look back and uh, look for another Savage Dragon episode. Look at them all. There's also a Megaton Man backup, uh, which which Megaton Man and his all his friends, his superhero friends, uh, play some softball. It's cheesy stuff. I'm not feeling it. Uh, also, Desperate Times by uh, Chris Eliopoulos. Again, Eric just letting these guys get a little time themselves. Didn't didn't really feel the backups to be honest. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're different. Um, these this particular selection, not so much. But. We'll talk more about the backups. Now, the letter page here, there's like five pages of letters, like I said. And as Eric will say later, he doesn't have ads in his book. He said the typical comic has 12 pages of ads. His has none. They have four or five pages of backups and, you know, five or six pages or four or five pages of letters, whatever it may be. 
But let's go through some of these letters. And uh, look, I like that Eric prints a lot of letters, responds to a lot of his letters, will respond to them in detail. There's a letter from Fred Smith. Fred thinks that Eric's fight scenes are too lame and there's too much talking. He also plays sort of the expert here and says he knows that it's easier to draw talking scenes than fighting scenes in comics. But Eric, in response, counter, he says, no, fighting scenes are easy. I can draw an exciting, you know, someone getting punched and making it look exciting. That's not hard. Making talking interesting is way harder. Drawing characters talking in different stances and conveying their emotions, that's much more different. Uh, so it's interesting how Eric sort of rebutted it. But, um, you know, I agree with Eric. You know, often one punch, I don't need seven pages of, of uh, fight scenes. Sometimes that's that makes an issue fly so fast that you you feel almost cheated out of an issue. I want more things to actually happen. I want actual plot development. Sure, I want some cool fights in there. It's comics, but I want I care more about plot development. So I think if you can achieve the same thing with one punch where you just know Dragon beat up this guy and you don't need six pages about it, you can actually advance the story more, especially as Eric points out, a book like this. One thing I always loved about Savage Dragon is that it takes place in real time. Obviously not real, real time, but when five years of Savage Dragon books have been published, five years of of character development uh, has occurred simultaneously. These characters age, they die, uh, they break up, they get together, they lose powers, they gain powers. Things really do happen, and this book really does change over time. As you'll see if you stick around to this podcast, as you'll see uh, fairly soon uh, in an exciting new change of direction that's not too far away at this point. Uh, Chris Beamer returned after two years off of writing letters to Savage Dragon to, just to express how disappointed he was in issue 63. This is the one with the reveal of the Overlord as Vic Nixon, just a kind of a random cop background character who we didn't really get too much of. And I got to say, I think it was a pretty lame reveal. Eric defends it, saying that he adapted this story from a story he wrote when he was 819. I don't think that's a great excuse, to be honest. Uh, you're, you're in your 30s now, probably the 40s, maybe at the time of this writing and are writing a professional book. So maybe that's not what you should do. Uh, Jorge Garcia writes in to complain about the art lacking recently. Eric thinks his earlier works here. This guy, Jorge, thinks his earlier work was better. Eric thinks his earlier work is cringe. So it's to each his own, I suppose. Uh, ben Herman hopes there's an interesting leader of the Covenant of the Sword being revealed. And Eric assures him there will be. And I can tell you, as someone who has followed this book, Eric is correct. There will be an interesting leader uh, revealed of the Covenant of the Sword. And again, if you stick around to the Savage Dragon Catch-Up podcast, you will find out as well. Carl Grether thinks issue 63 is the worst issue ever. Eric said he takes the good with the bad, adapting an old story. Joe Schuler writes to, to say that he found issue 63 so boring. I guess a lot of the problem people have with this too is it was already, it was already ran. This issue was in the S Savage Dragon archive. So a lot of people had already read it. The story was just changed to add the reveal of, of Vic Nixon. So a lot of people think that they just reread a story that Eric basically repurposed from when he was 19 years old and just added a new ending, which is exactly what he did. So I guess I can't blame people, especially if they had already read that in the archives. Uh, Joe Tortivia enjoyed the Nixon reveal as a Scooby-Doo nod. So I guess that's maybe a nod to Scooby-Doo because there's an episode of Scooby-Doo where Richard Nixon is revealed as the man under the mask. Uh, so perhaps Vic Nixon, it was sort of a, a nod to that. The name Nixon was sort of a nod to his student readers. Larson comments to one of his readers that uh, eventually Angel will grow up and smash heads of her own, which she does. And again, another thing I love about this comic, Angel is a kid here. Um, in 10 years, she's a 20-something and she's a superhero. So it's, you know, there's there's a lot, there's real continuity in this book. And it's it really does reward readers that stick around for the literal 30-year, we're talking now, long haul. Benjamin Wade writes to think that, to say that issue 63 is the best issue ever. See, you just never know. Never know how people are going to take things. Nathaniel Fainburn thinks that Dragonbird sucks. 
And uh, I got to agree with him. I like the idea. It's funny. It's cute. But to do this every every month. But again, as Eric will say later, and he says here in this comment, uh, Eric says most comments have 12 pages of ads uh, and said he has backups. So if you don't like them, skip them. And I agree. They never, they never bother me because he sticks the backups at the end. So I don't feel obligated to read them. Uh, Eric Flick says the book is the best value in comics. And I really think it was for a long time. This issue cost originally $2 and 50 cents in 1999 for a jam packed story. Always a ton of character development, uh, a huge letter page and you know, backups, whether you take them or leave them, it's more content and it's not an ad. So for $2 and 50 cents, uh, compared to today, I think this book runs three 99, which is actually you know, a slower rate of inflation than it was from I think he started at 199. I want to say the image book, so it hadn't gone up too much since the 195, 199, something like that. That's all the image books were. So I will, uh, of course, do the SBC rating of all these issues. And I got to say, I think this is a this was a pretty enjoyable issue. Uh, you know, I think this is. Um, it's, I'm trying to think like how to really rate these because it's it's hard because I've read them all and I really like this book and I'm probably gonna like most issues because I just like the book and like the character in general. But uh, I'm just gonna keep it easy here. I'm gonna go four for the writing, four the art for the art. It's a it's a pretty good issue of Savage Dragon. I'd say the average issue of a Savage Dragon is honestly a seven, seven and a half, maybe an eight. The average issue. So I would call this a a, a pretty good average issue. Advance the story. We get the the end of this plot with the possessor and uh, we have some seeds for things planted in a new direction, uh, possibly coming for dragon soon. So I'm going to give this issue an eight out of 10 on this inaugural edition of the Savage Dragon catch up podcast. I don't know how often I'm going to do these. I might start popping them out a lot. Cause I got 15 issues almost sitting here with me and I don't want to take, uh, 15 months to do this. Uh, so I think I will start making this a little bonus bonus content, uh, for you guys here. Um, each and every week, I want to say. I'm going to say it. Each and every week here behind the SBC paywall. And of course, don't worry, Thunderstruck, I'll also be doing those simultaneously as well. That being said, thank you for tuning in to the Savage Dragon Catch-Up Podcast. See you next time. And thank you for tuning in to this week's special little edition. I hope you enjoyed this glimpse behind the paywall. Again, as little as five bucks a month, you get access to all of our smooth, smooth as chocolate audio content. Patreon.com slash second print pod. My friends, until next week, read comics, change the world. 